Hello again, Paul. Hello, come in. Have just up a seat. Um, how how have you been this past week? Oh, good, Doctor Hamster Snapper. Um, w- one thing I like to be funny. Like you know, I, I think of myself as a pretty funny guy, and I oh. try and perfect. Uh, did you not know this? <laughs> no, no. Go on, go on. Sorry. <laughs> anyway, um, years ago I heard this joke, and I thought, well, I could improve it just by adding a bit of context to the environment. So I actually said mm-hmm. I set this joke in a lift just because it sort of explains the conversation more naturally. So right, right. So this is the joke. Okay, okay. So, okay, okay. A man gets into a lift, and there's a pirate in the lift, um, and he's got a great big ship's wheel on the front of his pants. And the guy says to the pirate, "Does that?" bother you? And he goes, Arr, it drives me nuts. Right, okay. That's the joke, yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, like, some people, they're not good at humour. Like, I told this to a girl at work, and she went home and told it to her family, and she said, um, a man gets into a lift and there's a pirate there, and she says, you know, what's up with the ship's wheel on your pants? And he said, Arr, it steers my balls. Okay, well, see, she, um, yeah, well, I must admit, um, I like your other friend's version a little bit better. It's a little bit funnier. <sighs> what? DCOCD, the DC Events Podcast, where we're looking at every single DC event from DC Comics from the year 1985 with Crisis on Infinite Earths and all the way up through all the events uh, till we get to the present day in order and we're going to score them all and rate them all and, uh, you know, compare them against each other once we have a score. Mm. So this time I'm joined by Mike. Hi, Mike. Hello, Paul. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, my main man back on the show. (laughs) So we're looking at the 2001 event, a Joker's last. Well, it's called Joker uh, colon last last. Or is it a semicolon? Uh, I think it's a colon. It's a colon. Let's call it a colon. A colon. Yeah. All right. Colon last laugh, which doesn't really flow. Like you tend to want to say Joker's last. Anyway, that's not important. So this event, it was a six-issue miniseries, and it had 25 tie-in issues, and it also had a Secret Files and Origins. So um, Mm. this was written by Chuck Dixon with Scott Beatty, uh, or Beatty, depending on how you want to say that. Um, It had art by many, many people, but chiefly Pete Woods. Um, So we had the main miniseries, they kept swapping the artist on each issue. So we had Pete Woods, Andrew Peepoy, Marcos Martin, Mark Farmer, Alvaro Lopez, uh, Walter McDaniel... 
Uh, is that meant to be Scott McDaniel? I think it is. And Andy Kuhn and Ron Randall. Hey, Ruth and Darren. Um, and <laughs> Rick Burchett as well. And on covers, let's talk about the covers. There was some covers by um, Scott McDaniel, which are pretty good, but the opener and closer were both by Brian Bolland. And the Secret mm. Files had Walt Simonson on the covers. So some yeah. top-notch cover talent there. And it was all littered by Willie Schubert, um, coloured by Tom McCraw or Gina Going Rainy, and edited by Matt Idelson. So, well, Mike, this is a first read for you. What did you think this one was about? Yes, this was a first read for me. Uh, so, Joker Last Laugh uh, has us seeing the Joker incarcerated in Slabside Penitentiary, uh, the prison for metahumans, uh, and the Joker learns that he has a terminal brain tumour. Uh, but rather than this news getting him to live out his remaining days quietly, as the staff at the slab had hoped, Joker decides to go out with a bang and get the last laugh on the world by turning the anti-riot suppression gas within the prison into Joker gas. So he jokerizes hundreds of villains and causes chaos worldwide. As President Lex Luthor declares war on this army of Jokers, the heroes of the DCU have to work together to take down the clown prince of crime. Yeah, that, that's, mm. that's pretty good. But uh, yeah, a lot happens in this one, like, so much happens. You see so many villains, don't you? So many, yeah. like, um, and some are created just for this event. Some are blasts from the past, like Mister One Hundred Three slash One Hundred Four, depending on what year you've read him. Um, he's there, he, I th- and I think he's Mister One Eighteen by the time this rolls around as well. Oh, perhaps, yeah. There are a lot of um, uh, elements. Elements. That's the word I want. Um, so <laughs> yeah. he's a Doom Patrol villain. So we a special um, kudos for using him. Yeah, and the premise is the Joker is told that he's dying by a doctor, and um, uh, and then wackiness ensues. Some heroes get affected. It's yeah, it's a whole thing. Mm, yeah. The scope of it. So I mean, you had the six issues and uh, lots of stuff like the Bat books and the Superman books and JLA and things like the JSA. And they were told basically, you know, you can do what you want with this if you want, but the basic idea is. You fight a jokerized villains who, um, you know, yeah. your character doesn't usually fight. So, you know, get someone in your book and do something with them. So, like, Batgirl faced the Shadow Thief. And uh, um, and being jokerized meant that you were, like, basically the same villain, except you didn't talk as sensibly and you had a joker face, uh, pr- pretty much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you were kind of crazier. And I think it gave each of the other books a chance to just do whatever they want. Uh, like I, I read the Detective Comics tie-in, uh, 763, and it turns out that the Jokerized villain and that wasn't even uh, an inmate. Uh, she was actually a DEO undercover agent. And, yeah, so that was kind of like, oh, that was an interesting twist. So, But, yeah, it was it was as if they said, he, all you other writers, go and put a Joker villain, a, a, literally a version of the Joker in your book Yeah, for this one issue, please. And I don't, uh, I can't think of any of the times that really stood out for me. I mean, I think the earlier ones that happened in the first couple of weeks were better when the story was a bit more focused. And you had, mm-hmm. like, uh, the Birds of Prey issue focused on Dinah heading into Slabside and what happens to her and... Uh, uh, similarly, the the Nightwing one is about him thinking about all the terrible things that the Joker's done, and then he heads into Slabside and encounters Dinah, and then that sort of picked up in issue two, which you know works quite well. Um, but as the series goes on, like uh, the Superman tie-ins were terrible. Like, 
fucked. Oh, I was sorry I read every single one of them. Uh, oh, dear. Yeah. Uh, like, you know, like, Lex Luthor is president at this stage still. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he goes crazy and he's on a train heading across the country and passes through Smallville. And it was so painful to read. <laughs> right. Yeah, and he, like, Doomsday gets jokerized and that just makes him, uh. you know, coherent, which is really... Really silly. <laughs> but as far as events goes, this is just—it's an occupier. So I don't think it was trying to fix anything. Um, uh, yeah. So no. it just gave the other book something to do. I mean, it was clearly meant to be a Batman story, you know, a Batman's book-centric story, and it got expanded out. Which is, yeah, I—I'm I, surprised that this was even an event. To be honest, uh, as I read through this, I thought, why is this being given such a high profile and reaching out to so many other books? When I think it would have been better if it had stayed focused within just the bad books. I think uh, the idea was cool, but I think they stretched themselves really thin and didn't quite stick the landing. Well, yeah, it's kind of like. The Joker appearing in any book is an event in itself, and apparently he does mm. goose, goose sales. I mean, I've met people at conventions who collect any cover that has the Joker on it, for instance, and things like okay. that. So, you know, and in this, I don't know if the Joker appears on some of these covers just because it's another villain with a Joker face. But, um, yeah. Actually, that's a good Lady Gaga song, isn't it? Joker face. Anyway, um. <laughs> yeah. So, w- what did you think were the big deals in this one? Well, things that you liked that stood out to you? Uh, things that I liked. Uh, okay, well, <laughs> sorry, spoiler warning. I, okay, I did like, well, okay, this was the first time I'd ever read this event. So that was interesting in and of itself. So I, I must thank you for gifting me this series. Uh, I do appreciate it. It was an interesting read. Uh, I especially liked learning about Multiman. I don't think I've ever read anything with him in before. So it was kind of cool seeing him in action. And he reminded me of the character Resurrection Man, who basically has the same power where when he dies, he comes back with a new metahuman ability. But the fact that he was a bad version of that, like a, a villainous character, uh, that was interesting. Um, so it was cool to see him. Uh, I like that there was a mention of it there being a Justice League Antarctica <laughs> yeah. that multi yes. worked in. Uh, I'm quite interested to read more about that team. So... <laughs> And, and that was like one line mentioned in the multi-man um, bio in the secret file and origins issue. Yeah, I think it's Justice League quarterly uh, issue four, I believe, is the Justice League Antarctica issue. So basically, um, these reformed villains form a Justice League and uh, the Justice League doesn't really know what to do them. So they, they base them in Antarctica to get them away, to get them out of their hair. Um, and okay. as it turns out there's a an outbreak of killer penguins or something so right okay <laughs> oh, i need to read it now i did really like the dynamic between barbara gordon um aka batgirl or oracle in this sorry uh and dick grayson's nightwing in this story uh, at the start uh, i like how in in the secret origins file dick basically says come out of the watchtower. Let's go away and actually enjoy life for a change. I thought that was a really nice little story. Uh, and then as the story progresses, Barbara's saying that, you know, just this once to get rid of the Joker, finally, they should be okay with killing him. And uh, Nightwing's basically reminding her that, no, that's not how 
we, the Bat family, operates. We just don't do that. But then towards the end of the story, the roles are reversed. And when uh, they get told that Robin has been killed, uh, basically it's Barbara reminding Dick that, yeah, they don't sink to the bad guys level, but he's kind of, you know, ready to go there himself. I thought So I thought that was an interesting dynamic between the two of them. Uh, issue four has a lot of the high points for me. Uh, Kirk Langstrom, sometimes known as Man Bat, uh, he develops an antidote to the Jokerization formula because uh, we, we get told that it's actually lethal to those that have been infected with it. Uh, there's also a funny scene with uh, the villain Stormfront and, uh, yeah, Mr. 118 creating crazy rain so that they can unleash rain that will turn civilians into Jokers as well. So uh, that was interesting. Uh, the big thing, I guess the biggest thing for me is that it's revealed that, uh, and I'm going to assume this spoiler reveal is fine considering <laughs> this event is from, what, 18 years ago. Black Canary goes to question the doctor that uh, revealed that there was a brain tumour in Joker's skull. Uh, and then he reveals that it was all a dumb joke. And the tumor doesn't actually exist. Oops. He, he he got a light pen and and forged the um the the cat scan of, of Joker's head, and I thought, wow, okay, that's an interesting revelation. But then nothing is done with it. No. Uh, it it gets referenced. Um, that happens in issue four. It gets mentioned on one page in the following issue, and then never gets mentioned again. Nothing's done with it, and I thought that was really disappointing. Uh, in that, wow, okay, that's a twist. You know, Joker's not actually gonna die. How are they gonna deliver this news to him? And they don't. Mm. It just doesn't go anywhere. Um, and a- another frustrating thing is that there is there's a character called um, Kilgore or Kill Percentage Or, uh, who looks like he's a robot that has become Jokerized. And I thought, how is that even possible? <laughs> He, he's a robot. Uh, but no, if you do your research like I did, you find that, that uh, Kilgore is actually an electro-mechano-organic or, life form. So I guess he's got enough organic material to become Jokerized. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, they, they were the main things for me that sort of, I think there, there were some good bits, but as it went along, it kind of dived down and didn't quite sit the landing for me. What, what about you, Paul? What were the big deals for you in this? Well, uh, I think it opens really strongly, the fact that, mm. you know, uh, the Secret Files issue is probably the best Secret Files issue that I've read in connection to an event, because it actually mm. set things up and gave you information yes. that you needed, uh, unlike some others. I'm looking at you, Our Worlds at War. <laughs> Yeah, so basically it has the Joker sort of wandering around asking questions, you know, working out how he can get out of his cell without anyone noticing, uh, you know, stuff like that. And it, that was, I like that because it sort of, um, it has a good pace. It's sort of just laying the groundwork. Um, it reminds you of just how smart Joker is because he was sort of asking questions about the different chemicals in their um, restraining uh, neck braces as well that would knock them out and he's sort of doing all this chemical composition um, as he as he's wandering around chatting to each of them and I, I thought that was really creepy but really smart as well yeah and when he's told that he's dying he does you know all the stages of grief in five minutes which was you know, <laughs> yeah. pretty, pretty cool um, mm. but I mean other than that I think 
the thing I liked about it is also one of the things I didn't like was I liked there's so many villains in it and you get to see some that you you don't see very often uh, like I love mm-hmm. Mis- Mr. Mind the little uh, caterpillar yes. from the Shazam family um, I just love him as a villain uh, you know the fact that he's working with uh, the heroes at one point and you know they're working out you know how to control him as well like they send him into yeah. someone's brain with a, a bit of um, uh, dental floss tied around him so they can pull him out if they need to yeah. and stuff like that that was very cool but yeah it's in the midst of like the focus on Barbara and uh, Dick and the way mm-hmm. you know the Joker has affected their lives and the death of Jason and things like that you got it's some really heavy stuff here but a lot of this miniseries is sort of played for gags like the fact that you know, to activate Multi-Man's powers, the Joker kills him, like, 39 times in a row. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the heroes start doing it to Multi-Man later to try and get out of a black hole that um, one of the yeah. villains has created. And, you know, to me, it's a bit hard to laugh about that stuff. I mean, I guess maybe it's the product of the modern age that, you know, the crimes of the Joker just seem a bit more serious, you know, in this day and age than they did way back when. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I, mean, I found it tonally um, a bit, a bit uncomfortable. I think at times, and, you know, and maybe I'm just a snowflake. But <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, not everything was particularly amusing about the fact that you know he, he's talking about oh you know killing little kids and things like that in the midst of you know the wacky singing and dancing type joker mm-hmm. and yeah. the other thing with the joker is the more you use him the less special he is and this is just wall-to-wall joker throughout and normally in the comics when someone encounters the joker it's like a heart-stopping moment and will these people survive whereas this is constantly people dealing with the joker all the way through um and, yeah and i think that's that's even though that's the whole gimmick of this event it's also the big downfall of it because to be honest halfway through i got bored with this story mm. the fact that there were jokers everywhere and it was kind of like yeah as you said the more he gets used the less special he is and that's what happened for me when i was reading it, it was like uh, okay yeah they're all jokers oh look they're all cracking wise whilst killing people it's, it got really old really fast and the other weird thing about this one is it doesn't have any real legacy. So, um, nope. And like this, it literally happens two months after our worlds at war. So the DC universe has mm. just had a great big, you know, sprawling event across all these books, and suddenly it gets another one. Um, you know, yeah. hot on the heels. And that's uh, that's too much. I mean, like I didn't collect either at the time, uh, just because. You know, I bought the issues that I was going to buy anyway, and later mm-hmm. I went back and bought in you know, the miniseries and then eventually the trade when I saw it cheap at HeroesCon. Oh, did have you been to HeroesCon? I did. Yeah, I went to HeroesCon. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, but um, nothing came from this, and I think it was probably because uh, DC editorial were. I mean, I could be talking out of turn, but my impression is they were kind of done with Chuck Dixon at this point. Like, they okay. mo- moved him off Detective Comics. I mean, he still had Robin going. He still had Green Arrow. But he was soon done with, like, um, they wanted to end Green Arrow so they could put uh, Kevin Smith's run there. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and, I th- you know, I think they let him do this story. They thought it would be a good sales thing, but he's, you know, they were, in their mind, he was sort of on the way out at this point and they didn't want to invest in any of his ideas. So there's no spin-off books that came, even though uh, Chuck Dixon had some planned. So um, from Dixonverse website, he said, um, 
one of the ideas that he wasn't allowed to do was um, Tim Drake was having uh, a really good friendship with Ted Cord, and basically he had becomes the new Blue Beetle. Oh, wow. And this would lead to a series where um, Ted Cord is like leading a squad of young Beatles. Um, and there was also wow. the plans for another title called uh, Meta Marshals, which was about Shiloh Norman, the former Mr. Miracle, um, mm-hmm. and Dina Bell, the, the Marshal, and um, yep. they start hunting down metahumans uh, around the DC Universe uh, to put people back in the slab. Yeah, see, I, I wondered why those two characters in particular were getting so much screen time in this, because uh, when the villain Black Mass teleports the slab into a black hole, it's kind of never really explained why that's done, other than to, I guess, create a diversion for when the Joker and the rest of the inmates escape. But then a good chunk of the story is Shiloh and, and Dinah trying to get back home. And I thought, okay, I don't recall ever seeing these characters in anything prominent ever again. So I was wondering if there was something planned and this was going to be their launching point. Yeah, it was. It was planned. It never happened. And um, Dinah had been in um, Birds of Prey as well, just as a a person who'd show up every now and again when uh, the officials were involved with things that Birds of Prey were doing. Right. Um, And there was also plans for a third title called The Slab, which would have been uh, like... Uh, Oz with supervillains. So. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah. So hmm. none of those happened, and you know that's a pity because it means that this comic has no legacy at all, really. Yeah. Other only one I could think of was that the slab uh, was in the Antarctic for a while, um, and I, I don't even know if that's still accurate in present DC or. Well, what, whether it got moved back somehow, I, I just don't know. That was the only thing... I, I think they just stopped referring to the slab after a while altogether, so oh, it didn't matter. There you go. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, uh, shall we start doing some scoring? Let's. So the way this works is uh, we've got four categories. Mike and I will give it uh, scores out of ten in those four categories. If uh, our scores will have a potential of anywhere from zero to eighty... Um, and we want to have a score out of 100, so we also have a semi-OCD person who gives their score, and then we halve it to give them uh, the points out of 20. In this case, we've got Reggie from the Cosmic Treadmill uh, joining us as a semi. So um, we'll go through our scores, and then we'll hear what Reggie had to say. So, eventiness. Eventiness, I'm going to flip over the page so I can read what I said. And um, I'm giving it a 5 for eventiness, because it, it, okay. you know, it has a lot of the DC Universe in it. They had a premise to play with. Some played quite well others didn't really know what they were doing but i mean it it was set up quite well and you know if there was some really good writing that it would have been very memorable in some of these Mm. cases yeah Mm. so five from me what about you mike I'm giving it a four, uh, basically because I don't think it should have been an event. I mean, as you said before, it had just come after Our Worlds at War. Uh, and this is, of, of the two big events in that year, this is clearly the lesser of the two because I think it would have been better as something contained within the Bat Books. And while it did reach most of the corners of the DC at the time and the concept was interesting to begin with, I don't think it ended very well so i can only give it a four fair enough what about the writing i am giving it a five because it starts out okay and uh, i do recommend reading the secret files and origins issue first to get some really good lead into what's happening uh before you get to the actual first issue of the series and at first uh the threatened insanity of mass jokerization seems serious but as 
it progresses. The story just leaves far too many questions for me, and I did get bored with it halfway through. Uh, I thought far too much time was spent on the secondary characters in the slab, trying to figure out how to get back to Earth. Nothing was done with the revelation that the tumour was faked to begin with, and by the end of it, it's just another session of the Bat family beating up on the Joker. And it reminded me that the Joker is probably way overused. So, yeah, and and while it's cool seeing all these different villains, there's hardly any introduction or or background to a lot of them, so it's not new reader-friendly. So I'm going to give it a five, which I feel horrible about saying, but there we are. Well, I was with you. I was going to give it a five. Um, But I think on retrospect, the the premise of the, the whole series is strong. Uh, the mm-hmm. fact, you know, the Joker thinks he's dying, what's he going to do about it? That's a really strong hook. And yeah. the way it opens, like, particularly issue... Uh, through to about issue two is really good. There's escalation in the fact that the Joker's done this now, and then, he, you know, now he's made the whole jail implode and things like that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's kind of exciting. And then it just stops being exciting after that point. So Exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah I'm, I was going to give it five, but I think I'll bump it up to six because of the strength of the opener. So, yeah. Whereas on art and covers, I think, well, the Brian Bolland covers, there's two of them. They are some of the most iconic Joker images that exist in all of human history. So they are, you know, score skewing art that... um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The art on the miniseries, you know, there's no bad art in the miniseries, but the variety of it is... um, not it, it it's not harmonious at all so no um of the internal art i think the ron randall issue was the best one i think that's and yeah. um he draws quite the sexy harley quinn <laughs> so overall i'm going to give it a seven for art Okay, I, I'm giving it a six, uh, and that's based purely on the main mini and the secret files and origins issue. Uh, yeah, I completely agree that the, the Bolland covers are the best ones, uh, so there's that. The other covers are adequate. They remind us that, hey, the Joker is wacky and dangerous. Um, uh, the rest of the interior art, for me, it ranges from good to adequate to where is spoilers nose on page 21 of issue three um she's she's gone all voldemort somehow and has no nose and it drives me nuts so um yeah for, for the most part the interior art is good but um issue three in particular um, i'm looking at you you were the you were a letdown for me for some parts so well, if she doesn't have a nose she should like pick pick a nose <sighs> God, do you feel better for giving that off your chest? <laughs> <laughs> As you were. So, thanks. So, yeah, the, the art is, it's its a real mixed bag for me with, with no real standouts other than those bowling covers. So, um, I'm going to give it a six. It's for the, yeah, for the most part, it's adequate. So, I'll go six. Okay, now, for the impact and legacy, um, I'm, I, I have to give it zero. Like, nothing came from this at all. And I, I think, you know, that sounds like a really harsh score, but that is outside the creator's controls um, because they obviously had a plan for it. They were treating this like a traditional event where you come up with a story and then you have something that launches out of the story. I mean, perhaps that was the problem. The things they wanted to launch were too focused on just what they wanted to do and not what everyone else could do. But... Um, yeah, I, I think editorially it's a zero. It's it's a it's just a 
Wow. It's a flat line on the uh, legacy for this one. Is that your first of a zero on this show? Um, I, no, I think it's my second zero. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm trying to remember what the other one was, but those are rare. Wow. Yeah, I did the same thing for Genesis, so there you go. <laughs> right. Okay. Yep. There we go. Yeah, well, that's understandable, really. <laughs> wow. Well, I feel generous in giving uh, my Impact and Legacy score of one. Purely because, yeah, it's it's an event and it was it happened. It started with an interesting idea, but yeah, unfortunately, I, like I, what you were saying uh, about what was shared on the that Dixonverse site, I had no idea of, and some of those actually do sound like cool ideas. But we're stuck with what we have, um, which was an event that stretched a character way too thin, and I think. I'll, I'll stick with one. I think I'm being, you know, I think that's fair. Whew, okay. Yeah. Wow. Well, let's see what Reggie had to say about all of it. Hey, everybody. This is Reggie from Chris and Reggie's uh, Cosmic Treadmill podcast. Uh, I'll be doing the mini OCD for this episode, Joker's Last Laugh, the 2001 event, uh, or event lit, can we call it that? Because it's uh, it did uh, span a breadth of books, but it really is uh, not remembered, remembered as being a huge event, I think, uh, by most. In fact, in fact I had uh, totally forgotten about it until uh, Paul brought it up again, but I did look at it again. Um, I read the core six issues mainly, uh, which, I, which is what I did at the time. I didn't buy comics that I didn't normally buy, which at that time was not that much. I probably bought the Batman tie-in issues, and I believe I bought the Action Comics tie-in. I seem to remember... Uh, that one, but I did reread the six issues, and uh, you know, it's. Uh, I assume that the fellows have gone over the particulars of it during the episode, so I'm not going to belabor it too much. But you know, basically, the story is he thinks he's dying. He turns all the in- inmates of Slabside Penitentiary into Joker versions of him, which is essentially to change their skin color, hair color, and give them lipstick. That really is the uh, only change to them. They they all do the exact same things. Uh, I guess the idea is that it makes them more compliant to Joker, but it really seemed to be a missed opportunity overall. You know, you'd think you would turn these, uh, you know, these uh, run-of-the-mill crazies into Joker and they would be, like, super murderous or something, but they pretty much all do the same, uh, same old stuff they always do. They just do it for the Joker. Story begins a little better than it ends. Actually, the first issue especially is pretty tightly written and interesting uh, the way the Joker is able to create these Jokerized versions of people is by mixing together several chemicals uh, one of which is administered by the folks at Slabside the, the Slab uh, Slabside Penitentiary uh, a vomit inducing drug or something to quell a riot and uh, that mixed with something else and something else Turns them all into jokers because it, it was it was pretty well done the way the way it was laid out. Uh, plus the way he escapes initially is pretty good too. He kind of uses different villains' uh, specialties to you know get to the next level. Uh, then it really just kind of falls apart. Um, these you know Joker is sort of sidelined on Easter Island for the entire event, and the slab is also shoved off into some alternate dimension for the entire event. They essentially take the uh, two main pieces off the playing board, and then they let sort of like random, you know, eventy things happen. Uh, you know, it's like, oh, well, here's Amygdala's a Joker, and now we have uh, 
Um, I don't know, maybe the Mad Hatter's a joker over here. Look at him. He's uh, the ventriloquist. He's a joker, too. And, you know, so is the uh, so is Scarface. Why not? I, I don't know what is supposed to happen because the joker doesn't have any uh, powers or anything. But uh, you just think there would be more to it, you know? Like, if everyone got scarecrowed, I guess they would all instill fear, you know, if, if it was like a scarecrow thing. But the joker... Like, I, I guess, I, what do you expect to happen? They're all just going to become very dapper dressers or something like that? Or uh, they're all just going to, you know, become very obsessed with Batman? Um, I did I did like seeing Shiloh Norman, who I forgot was here. I forgot that he was actually a whole thing with this, uh, the slab uh, in general, which is also a place that I've largely forgotten about. Um, it was cool, the alternate Mr. Miracle. You know, he, you know, he didn't get a lot of play. Uh, kind of wished more had been done with him. I have a feeling that he's been... Uh, shoved to the side, especially now with that big Mr. Miracle uh, maxi series, uh, you know, spoil any good feelings on that by throwing another Mr. Miracle in there. But it was cool to see him. It was cool that it made sense that he was running the security for this penitentiary. It's just too bad he literally did almost nothing. He, you know, he just kind of like got chased from place to place. Maybe he would uh, open a door or whatever, but he essentially got hectored by uh, the, the woman he was running with, and it was sort of a another missed character opportunity to do something interesting. Uh, the running gag in there with Multi-Man, that's like a big part of it. Joker used Multi-Man and killed him over and over to get the proper uh, power needed to take off the uh, neck locks, the, uh, you know, the things, the, the damp, power dampeners or whatever. Um yeah, I mean, I was that was all right. It was cool, and I did I did like it. I thought it was funny, reasonably so up to the end. Uh, you know, it's comics, so uh, they're not known for their restraint when it comes to uh, humor and other things like that. But it, uh, you know, I, I thought it was good. I also like seeing some of these Z-list and D-list characters. You know, they could like Simon and uh, New Wave and Savannah was in there, which is like. That's kind of strange. You, you don't usually see him without the context of Captain Marvel. Uh, but there he was right there when getting uh, reverse jokered uh, right there on the table. Uh, Dr. Polaris plays a kind of a big role for a second. And then, I don't know, he just kind of like cheeses off and, uh, you know, what, what does Joker put, like, what, if he's not using a character, does he put him away in like a shoebox or something? How does that work? Overall, uh, here are my scores. The eventiness for this uh, you know, this had a lot of tie-ins, and again, I'm sure the guys are going to go through all of them. It was a lot of freaking books for something that really did not really have much to it. Um, I mean, you know, even like bigger, you know, I don't think Zero Year had this, uh, Zero Hour had this many tie-ins, maybe. So, but yeah, it's not really worthwhile, and, and I definitely didn't. As a matter of fact, I seem to recall when I bought this in 2001, because I got the issues, because, you know, it seemed like a cool thing. Chuck Dixon was, you know, definitely one, one of my favorite writers at the time. Uh, I didn't think, I thought it was just a mini. I didn't I didn't really think of it as being a uh, DCU event, although it clearly is, because it touched every part of it. But in my mind, I was like, oh, whatever, I'll just read this mini, that's cool. Uh, so I gave it a 4 out of 10. I don't, I think it's pretty... Uh, you know, mediocre on the event scale. The writing is is not horrible. I have to say, uh, you know, it sort of falls apart more to the to the end of the uh, six issue mini. And uh, this is a time that I it's possible that Chuck Dixon kind of turned a corner. Uh, um, I have theories. I discussed with Paul as to why that might be so, but uh, whether that's true or not, um, it definitely ends a lot flatter than it begins. You know, like I said. 
uh, you know, Joker Jokerizes everybody. Then he just kind of hangs out on Easter Island for five issues or four issues or whatever, and then and then there's a big showdown. So it's uh, kind of a letdown. But I mean, you know, the pacing is all there. The the nuts and bolts are correct. So I give that a six out of ten. Uh, you know, probably could be argued down if if somebody wanted to make a thing out of it. The art and covers. Now this is sort of a problematic section, folks, because uh, the art, the interiors uh, of these six issues are handled by various people. Pete Woods, Marcos Martin, Walter McDaniel, Andy Kuhn, uh, Rod Randall does a really nice issue. Uh, I think there's one other guy, too, that I missed, plus the inkers, plus the colorists. So there's all these different teams, so it really runs the gamut, like that a couple of the issues I think look great. Some of them I don't think look as great on the inside. However, the covers are spectacular. The, it's all Scott McDaniel and Brian Boland. Uh, Klaus Jansen does the inking for the Scott McDaniel covers. They all look great. I, I dare say the sixth cover uh, that Brian Boland did is a classic DC cover. It's, I, I don't know if people even know what it's from, but I've seen it used many times for, I don't know, promotional crap. or I believe it, I believe it is the cover to a trade dress, uh, that one of he's holding the Joker... Batman's holding the Joker up with a black eye. Uh, You've definitely seen it. So it's a art. I would give it like a five, you know what I mean? A five or, you know, maybe a little more. It's not like it's horrible, but it's uneven throughout that. Not to mention that the, the tie in issues, that's whoever the artist was on that issue, you know? So that's, you know, who knows? So, but the covers are so good. I'm going to give this overall thing a 7 out of 10. And uh, Impact and Legacy, yeah, there's no Impact or Legacy. I don't think anyone has talked or cared about this event until this moment, until this episode of this podcast came out. And the only lasting result I can think of, if it it is even uh, intact in the current DCU, is that Slabside Penitentiary warped back to our dimension, but onto Antarctica and stayed there, and that was the thing. Uh, Slabside Penitentiary was supposed to be this, like, metahuman, uh, you know, Gotham's answer to, like, the super criminals or whatever the hell it was, and it just really never panned out. Uh, I, I can't remember the last time it was referenced. I'm not sure if it even exists in the current DCU, but if it does, it should be out there on the Antarctic shelf still. And Shiloh Norman might be there running the uh, closed-circuit televisions. So uh, my overall score, therefore, is 19 out of 40. And because I'm a mini OCD, I'm going to uh, have that to 9.5 out of 20. And uh, Paul and them can uh, round that up or down as they see fit, whatever works for that. So that's where I'm coming at. And actually, to be honest, that's a, a better score than I thought I would give it. But that's where I'm going to land at right around the halfway mark on this uh this last laugh of Jokers. So uh, I want to thank the guys for giving me the opportunity to, to uh, proffer my opinion on this uh, piece of forgotten DC history. And, and of course, you can uh, catch Chris and Reggie's Cosmic Treadmill. You can find out more about that over at chrisandreggie.com. Thanks a lot, fellas. Back to you. So, well, thanks, Reggie. Thank you for that. And go listen to Cosmic Treadmill, because it's a really good show, and he does a lot of work for that one. Anyway, we have our scores all here. Now, let's add them all up. So, Mike, 
You gave it four, five, six, and one, which comes to, ooh, 16. That's mm-hmm. below the halfway mark. Mm. Uh, whereas I gave it a five, six, seven, and a zero, which makes it 18, so a little tiny bit oh. better. Uh, mm-hmm. Reggie gave it 19 out of 40, so mm-hmm. he's the highest score out of the three of us. Um, <laughs> but we undermine that by halving him and then rounding him up, so we get 10 for Reggie. So let's add all these together. And it looks like we have... Uh, 44 44 Ooh. wow which is wow. it's not rock bottom um, but it's not no f- <laughs> it's it's smack dab between Genesis and Bloodlines yeah well it's closer to Bloodlines than it is to Genesis Genesis is yeah. a fair way down it's it's one less than Bloodlines wow but I mean mm. yeah we'll We'll be putting these on the table, which is uh, going to have a new home soon at, um, oh, shall we say it, waitingfordoom.com. Well, if we say it, now we we put the pressure on ourselves to get it built. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, sometime in the future, perhaps. Mm, yeah. Yeah. That's our score. So, uh, yeah, let us know what you think of Joker's last laugh, or Joker colon last laugh, and uh, how you think it stacks up against the others. Do you think if we're being too harsh, you should let us know? Yeah. Yeah, please let us know, because I, in terms of events being discussed and looked back upon favorably or even negatively, I rarely see any mention of this story. No, it's mostly forgotten. And I think I know why now. But I, I, I tend to think if everyone's silent, then they just strongly agree with us. So. Mm, yeah. Yeah, but I think some of you are with some feedback. You know who you are. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Getting bossy. <laughs> anyway, Mike, what are, we're done for this app. What are we coming back with next time? Uh, next time on the feed, we will have uh, another episode of Waiting for Doom, where we'll be looking at the My Greatest Adventure Robot Man miniseries uh, from 2011, I think it was. Uh, and then uh, next time on DCACD, you will be looking at Bruce Wayne murderer slash fugitive, full stop. Oh, he's busy, Bruce Wayne, isn't he? He is. Can't make up his mind. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, if you want to get in touch, uh, you can uh, do the Twitter thing at DCOCDcast, and you can send us emails to DCOCDcast at gmail.com. Anyway, thanks, Mike. Thanks, Paul. And thanks, Reggie, for your input. We'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.